Welcome to Marafaya, the show that dives into the climate crisis in Belize. I'm Andre. And I'm Digna. For today's episode, we will talk about watersheds, their importance, and the challenges they face. To share with us community strategies to conserve watersheds, we have the Rio Grande River Keepers, who will speak on their approach to help restore and conserve the Rio Grande watershed. But first, we have a new segment. I think that for a lot of us concerned about the environment, we struggle with how to balance despair for all we're losing, along with gratitude for all the remains and that we're fighting for. In the spirit of that balance, we are starting a new segment called Moment of Gratitude, One Minute of Rage. Each week, Andrea and I will swap a moment of gratitude for a minute of rage on any topic that's been on our mind in the past week. Before recording, we flipped a coin and I will be starting us off with a moment of gratitude. With everything that's been going on this past year, it's been a struggle for many, including myself. And I found myself lately in a very um, dark place, I would say, where it's difficult to sometimes count my blessings. So I'm really glad that Andrea and I started this segment because I find that it would help us a lot. And one thing I'm definitely most um, grateful for is that another week has passed and my family and I, we are still healthy. Thankfully, none of them have gotten COVID so far. So I'm very happy for that. We still have three meals on the table. We still have a roof on top of our heads. And sometimes we overlook simple stuff like that. But I am very happy and grateful for having that until today. Oh, Dingna, I'm really glad to hear that. That's, uh, yeah, that is like, something that a lot of people are deprived of those basic things um and it you know we are all we all are deserving of it everybody who's alive so i'm 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 grateful for the moment of gratitude you shared with us today so now it's my turn with my minute of rage and i'm starting the clock now so what i'm really upset about this past week has been everything to do with the vaccine rollout in belize i just really feel dispirited by how little effort there seems to be, not by people who are in the front lines, you know, nurses at clinics, people who are distributing the vaccine, but I feel really dispirited by how little effort the Ministry of Health and Wellness is putting into the vaccine and in educating people about the vaccine. There's this assumption I feel that they're carrying out right now, which is that if you don't want the vaccine, you're an idiot and therefore you don't deserve the vaccine in some way. And I just really feel that that's so disrespectful to people in Belize because there's very legitimate reasons to be scared of getting a vaccine that's brand new, that um, that we don't really have much of a long-term understanding about. And I'm really perplexed by the fact that we don't take those people's concerns seriously and try to try to get the information they need. That's true. I don't see much of an educational campaign from Belize to advertise and promote people getting this vaccine. And it's very concerning. And they're basically just giving away vaccine now to whoever goes because people aren't showing up. And I think that's um, a fault in mostly their side and not on the people's side. Yeah, exactly. The the people are are going to do what they think is safe and appropriate. And if they are not doing what the minister thinks is appropriate, then isn't that the job of the government is to find the means to meet people where they're at and try to get them on board on board for policies that are going to better help people. 
Um, so, you know, my minute of rage is also a preview in some ways of uh, a future episode that I'm not yet sure when we're going to do it. It's going to be soon, but it is going to be on the COVID-19 vaccine. And we are soliciting questions from our audience uh, about the AstraZeneca vaccine rollout. Uh, and we really just want to, my general idea right now is to get a team of experts uh, to form a panel and then Digna and I will have those people on and then have them help us answer questions. So please send us your questions if you have them. Uh, we would love to receive them and uh, get more information out there to you and find other ways of getting that to the public. Because if the government isn't going to really do this for us in these particular ways, then, then we can do this. Um, I think we can do this. So today's topic is watersheds. We wanted to discuss this topic because of our ongoing concern with the mismanagement of watersheds through the country. From the Rio Bravo to the New River to the Monk River, all the water that provides life for human courses through Belize and faces threats from human activity, including industrial and commercial waste, as well as mineral extraction projects. This is the first time in a series of episodes we'll be doing looking at Belize's watersheds. The problems they face and the committees doing something about them. But first, Andre, you staying hydrated these days? Digna, I really try to. I think hydration is probably one of the top five uh, thoughts I have in a given day. I treat drinking water like one of the major assignments in a day. I wake up, I drink a glass, I go for a walk, I drink another. After my first cup of coffee, I drink another cup of water. In our house, we go through about 20 gallons of just drinking water a week between three adults and two children. Then there's the water we use to shower, wash, water the garden. So water is just a part of the everyday routine here for us, like it is for most people who have access to it. I wish I could say I drink as much water as you, but I find it very difficult to keep hydrated. I have to be like <sighs> that type of tired to actually think that I need some water. <laughs> But yes, there's hardly anything as essential, and yet we don't generally learn much about it. In school, yes, we learn of the water cycle, the basics of the water cycle. When it rains, the water falls into a catchment basin. The water that is not evaporated or transpired infiltrates into the soil or deeper aquifers, flows up into rivers, or rolls over the land into streams and rivers as surface flow until they eventually reach the seas and oceans again. But the function of watersheds wasn't really something we spoke about. Yeah, totally. I, I don't even think I learned the word watershed until I was an adult or what that even is. And, you know, talking about it now, I feel like I still don't know an exact definition. Like I know what it is, but I don't have a good idea do you have do you have a way of like explaining that to us did you find anything yeah totally I resonate with you on that um in my early days in in primary school I never did learn about it I recently learned about it when I started my degree in environmental science that's the only way mm -hmm. I know of that term but a watershed is a piece of land which all water flows as it enters a body of water example the river it sheds water into a specific water body. It acts as a collection, storage, processing, transport, and distribution system for water, sediments, living organisms, energy, and pollution. So we need a healthy watershed because a healthy watershed equals ecosystem services, 
economical, physical, and health benefits. They perform free work for us, meaning we don't have to worry about paying for their services. In Belize, we have 39 identifiable watersheds, of which 19 are considered major ones. Five of them are transboundary watersheds, meaning they cross national borders. You mentioned they provided ecosystem services, Digna. Like what, for example? I mean, in addition to giving people water to drink and some places to wash their clothes or anything else, wash their bodies, how else do watersheds help people and other organisms? To put it concisely, there's four major ecosystem services watersheds provide. They improve water quality. Their natural landscapes and floodplains filter pollutants from point and non-point sources. They promote nutrient cycling and help retain sediment. They also act as carbon storage opportunities. Watersheds with intact natural land cover and soil resources are capable of sequestering carbon, thereby offsetting greenhouse gas emissions. They also help with increased resilience in the face of climate change threats. When we have intact floodplains and riparian areas, they enable healthy watersheds to be better adapted to more extreme weather patterns and changes in precipitation associated with climate change. Lastly, they reduce risk for invasive species colonization. Naturally functioning ecosystems are more resilient and can favor indigenous species, helping them out-compete invasive species. Jeez, that is so much more than I knew about. I knew about their benefits to water quality and carbon storage, but how they help to reduce the risk of invasive species, that's, that's pretty new to me. And you say on top of all of that, there's economic benefits. Well, you know, sometimes when I hear economic benefits, I feel a little bit, that feels a little bit fishy because that, that usually ends up meaning like there's a way to get rich off this. Is that what you're meaning by economic benefits here? Uh, no. When it comes to economic benefits, what I mean is that because of the ecosystems they provide, we they act as a filter for the water. So it reduces drinking water treatment and infrastructure cost. Um, a review of treatment costs and watershed characteristics for 27 drinking water utilities found that for every 10% increase in forest cover of the source water area, chemical and treatment costs it decreases by 20%. This was a paper, um, I think it was a review paper published by Ernst in 2004, and I found this because it was cited in the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. And they also mentioned a separate case in New York City that New York City found it significantly more cost-effective to protect the watershed's natural land cover and forest to provide natural filtration rather than installing a multi-billionaire dollar water treatment. Which makes sense because water quality monitoring is an expensive process. So to me, the smarter move would be to conserve the area instead of throwing money to fix at a problem that was caused by our carelessness. Wow, that, that feels like it's ringing so many bells right now. You know, you, you, you do prevention rather than cure. What else? So it also reduces flood mitigation cost. Again, I'm mentioning floodplains and natural landscapes like that's very important for our environment because these also minimize the area and impacts of floods they reduce the burden on public draining infrastructure and increase groundwater recharge it also provides increased revenues and jobs i mean belize as an ecotourism destination um 
we we having water healthy watersheds provide ample opportunities for fishing, boating, swimming, hiking, biking, wildlife viewing. Um, you know, we depend on these stuff. Like tourists, that's what they like, and locals, me as well. I like going out and experiencing the natural beauties Belize has to offer. And lastly, it also increases property value. Houses with healthy surrounding ecosystem and greenery tend to be more expensive. In Belize, for example, the most expensive properties can be found in the beachfront with ocean view, and they range from $205,000, Belizean dollars, to $2,930,000, according to the Global Property Guide. So yeah, you know, having greenery, I mean, it's worth it. I would pay that amount to, instead of living into like a sort of deteriorated city-like environment. That's my personal <laughs> choice. The village girl, the village girl yes. opinion. <laughs> so, so, so with all that, why does it seem like humans struggle to take care of such an important ecological feature? So I mentioned it, it has economic benefits, right? And you thought that that meant uh, we could get rich off of that. And that's why it is not taken seriously because it does not provide physical cash. Like we can't say, oh, this watershed is giving us so much money in revenue this year because it hasn't, it, it's not valued. So its services are often undervalued when making land decisions. For example, the Belize River watershed, I think that's your area, that's at a huge watershed, the main watershed we have here in Belize. Its main challenge is the deforestation of riparian forests, deterioration of wetlands due to inappropriate and unsustainable agriculture development and urbanization. This was gotten from, I'm not sure if I'm going to pronounce this surname correct, Waka, W-A-Q-A, 2019, and it was cited in Bowles 2019. Dr. Bowles was actually my professor at Galen, and he was the one that taught me on watersheds. So kudos to Dr. Bowles if he's listening to this, if he does listen to this. Yeah, Dr. Bowles, you're listening. You better be. <laughs> Support your students. So, um, and this is important because... If we don't have these riparian forests, that is when erosion, when erosion, sedimentation, pollution, which then drains into a larger body of water because that's how a watershed acts. Also, we have no proper waste management. So sewage discharge, solid waste disposal, it's off, it often ends up in these open water sources. And one thing that I had also noticed is that no one follows the 60 feet development from the high tide river mark. I'm not, um, I don't know if you know, knew this. I just learned about this last week, actually, because of what is happening um, near Pomona village with the mineral extraction that is now affecting that river. As, and uh, somebody was kind enough to explain to me this 60 foot feature and the fact that it is being ignored by that extraction project but you're saying here that nobody follows it yeah i mean even if you like entering san ignacio like immediately right after the rivers you have buildings that's almost in every um 
near river places. I also like I I love to go to the river when I'm in Cairo. I go to Bullet Tree and even hotels are like right near the river. And you know it it looks beautiful but when there is high tide i mean it's for their own benefit when a high tide comes they will get flooded you know so it's stuff like this that we have yeah. to bear in mind and try to follow what our policies say and enforce them totally and i mean we have a good reminder of this from just last year when eda and iota struck san ignacio and how devastated yes. san ignacio was because of the flooding and you know i didn't know about this um the 60 foot space but you know as much um sympathy as i feel i continue to feel for what those people endured it's also now very interesting to learn that there is this sort of development guide that they're supposed to be following and that many of them haven't and as a result of that they perhaps experienced more flooding than they would have otherwise mm-hmm, definitely so you know this is problems that most watersheds face they only have a thin section on their riverbanks consi- consisting of riparian forest and and i've seen this when we uh, we did field, tri- field trips in class we used to visit some watersheds and like really there's just thin pieces of riparian forest and there's even pictures too um i could share some um slides with you for you to see actually how bad they are andre And yeah, we should share that on our Facebook page yeah, if we can. Yeah, also. And you know the new river is already facing these problems and that should serve as a wake up call for us. It's since 2019 and nothing yet has been done to try and save the river and the nearby communities that are the first ones to feel these impacts. Yeah, and speaking of the new river, we will have an upcoming episode on that where we'll be talking to a new correspondent, Romel, on the issues that the new river is facing uh and that will yeah, what's going on there is really heartbreaking in terms of the pollution that is now affecting fish populations and also affecting people's ability to exist nearby the river due to the stench and due to the the heat that the river is now producing as a result of contaminants from nearby industrial activity. So that's uh, another preview for you all. We got a lot of previews for you today. So last episode we mentioned solutions to problems have to be relevant to the people being affected or unknow- unknowingly affecting the environment. We we wanted to make sure we continue hitting on that. So in the spirit of that, we wanted to highlight some of the ways in which watershed management could be people centered yeah and communication understanding respect and support from all parties involved is necessary to overcome this situation solutions like aiding farmers with alternatives so that they do not heavily de- depend on pesticides and fertilizers as well as increased prices for their crops to lessen the pressure on producing vast quantities of whatever crop they they're focused on Yes and trees restoration this is very very important i know we're all like plant a tree but trees play an important role in this and especially in the watersheds we must restore the trees so we can save them and we can also um build living fences or green fences these are fences that are made out of living shrubs or trees so you know instead of doing a cement one or whatever plant a tree and have that work as a as a fence 
Um, we also need bioremediation systems for farm discharge, nitrogen fixing crops. All of these can contribute to nutrient rich soils, crops, livestock, healthier agricultural products, and food, which then helps enhance the biodiversity and improves food security. According to Dr. Bowles' paper, these strategies have already been developed over many years of research in Turialba, Costa Rica. So it's not something that, oh, we're going to test and see if it works. Like, no, it's proven that it works already. So, you know, these are some stuff that Belize can implement in order to help save the watersheds. Yeah, and what's what's so notable about these uh, these solutions you offer is that all of them are systems-based solutions that are not heavily technologically centered, right? You're, they're mostly about trying to get the ecosystem back to a state where it can produce its natural functions. Uh, there, it's not like we're, we have to import some you know, elaborate machine in order to do this for us. Uh, you know, like yesterday I was watching this video that really had me rolling my eyes and it was this, um, this huge machine uh, that is intended to like drive over crops um, when they're just planted and it shoots lasers to kill only weeds. And I'm just like, man, so you come up with this big ass machine instead of finding a way to pay people well so that they would just be able to pluck that weed instead. Um, I, I have a big problem with this sort of like increased automation of farm labor because it, it's only intended to further marginalize farm workers at this point in time. And it's not really there to actually make crops more, m more accessible to all of us. It, it's there to increase the profit margins of farming corporations. But again, as I always do, that is, that is a ten tangent and maybe someday we'll talk about that more specifically. So now, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so now that, um, now that Digna has provided all that great information for us on water and watersheds, we're going to now transition to our interview with the Rio Grande River Keepers, where they will tell us about their group and their work and how they're working to preserve and restore the uh, Rio Grande watershed. Here it is. All right. So today we're here with the Rio Grande River Keepers. Um, can you all introduce yourselves? Sure. So my name is Denise Garcia, and I live in San Pedro, Colombia Village, Toledo. Hi, my name is Carla Garcia, and I'm also from San Pedro, Colombia Village, Toledo. Hi, my name is Mariah Choco, and I also live in San Pedro, Colombia Village, Toledo District. Great. Thank you for joining the show today, guys. Um, so our first question was, essentially, what is the origin for your group, the Rio Grande River Keepers? Sure. So the Rio Grande River Keepers originated from genuine concern of the garbage pollution that we saw or we're seeing in our rivers. Um, the continuous erosion and clearing of our river banks being noted by villagers and, um, you know, members of our group. So it, it really stemmed from we are daily users of the river and, you know, being cognizant that, wow, things are changing and um, something needed to be done about it. That's really great. I like how you guys, you know, as a concerned um, community, you guys came together. So how did the founders get others involved in this work? So villagers of San Pedro collect 
Colombia, we're connected by the river. Quintal lives upstream, I live downstream. Mara lives a little distance away um, from the river, but she's always there swimming. Um, and um, so what happens upriver definitely affects us down here. What happens in Colombia affects others in Big Falls village that are further away. Um, so genuinely our village has had efforts to you know, do river cleanups, plant trees, um, via the school, the, scout, the scouts and other little local groups, but it was mostly in an isolated, you know, manner, um, you know, ad hoc manner. So both Quinta and myself, um, you know, literally living right along the river bank, we started talking one day. And um, so we said, you know what, let's formalize these efforts. We always see the school children picking up garbage. We always see the village council, you know, from time to time, and depending on resources, cleaning the river. Let's formalize this. And um, so due to the COVID pandemic, we, we noticed that a lot of people were flocking the river. And so as people were coming, you know, so they're increasing their use of the, the river. So was the garbage um, increasing. And, um, you know, it's ridiculous to see the amount of garbage we saw along the rivers, you know, inside the water and even downstream. So we, we said, you know what, we had to do something. So that's when we started doing, you know, these really small cleanups and um, through the village, what's happening Columbia Facebook page. I'm pretty sure every village has one of those. We started like advertising, hey, join us on X day and X time and you know, let's clean the river. So that's how myself and Quinto um, started garnering help from, from other villagers. Okay, so just to give a follow up with Miss Denise here. So as she mentioned, she posted on the what's happening San Pedro Columbia community base page. And I saw the post there actually, she was reaching out for volunteers and that's how I get started um, in doing, in helping them. So she arranged a day for us, for me to join the cleanup campaign along with Quinto. So at the time there was limited volunteers, there was not much people, you know, reaching out to them. So along during our um, cleanup, Quinton was telling me what they have in mind to do, what kind of activities they plan to do. And so I thought in Santa I thought it was something good because we don't have a group, like literally in this village, we don't have like a community-based group like doing these environmental work. So besides other organization, but in the village, none for itself. So I told him that, you know, maybe we should open a Facebook page and Miss Denise um, called a meeting and that's how we started and at the time I told them to get more volunteers I think it's really good to open a Facebook page because it was during COVID and many were drawn to social media everybody is selling on social media advertising so that's how our group went and ventured to do a social media page and we asked for volunteers shared picture what we're doing and it's fun for me because you go along enjoy the canoe ride, do pick up garbage, take a, take a swim. And so that's how we end up engaging more volunteers and the message. And that's how the group started to gain more volunteers and get bigger. So, and we hope for more volunteers. That is so interesting that, to, that you're saying that in terms of um, the sort of play that, that was involved in this broader community cleanup. So that, 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 does make sense then when I remember reading that a lot of the river keepers are 
our, our kids. And so I'm, I'm curious as to, in addition to the, I guess, the play that's involved in part of the work, what other aspects of this um, are, are drawing kids into this work? Okay, just to answer, I, I think that besides the fun activities that we do, I think um, most of the times the kids are available and since being locked out of school, I mean, it helps them to get more engaged with the environment and we just don't really, actually we didn't, um, yes, we focused on picking up garbage, but then we also ventured in doing some signs, some painting. So, you know, this get the kids out from um, doing like a, to interact with the environment, stay out from just focusing on doing work and other activities. But we do, um, but we do get other volunteers like youths, but mostly it's, um, young children and I think it's because um, they have more free time as I mentioned. Okay just to add a little more to um, what Mariah said um, so the Rio Grande River Keepers has um, leaders and volunteers um, we have four leaders which is um, Quinto, myself, um, Mariah and Denise and we have a little over uh, 22 volunteers um, our volunteers range from young children to teenagers and youths. Um, Rio Grande River Keepers volunteers are involved in cleanups, garbage and um, sorting, as well as recording um, the pounds, the amount of pounds, um, the garbage, um, whether it's cloth, we have plastics, we have um, um, glass bottles, pint bottles, beer bottles. Um, we, uh, they engage in tree planting. Um, they also, at the same time, they also discover the different parts of the river, the different areas. Um, we do designing and painting signs. Um, at the same time, they converse about the river um, among other activities. Um, yes, it is an unpleasant work dealing with garbage. Perhaps that is the reason we don't have more volunteers, especially um, older persons. But children and youths are attractive to the environment um, and they are willing to help with the environment. But uh, it is not only garbage that we are defined by, there are more strategies the group are developing and will employ. Uh, that, that, that makes a lot of sense that the robustness of your activity is uh, really impressive. Uh, I did, I did want to ask then, uh, where is the garbage coming from? You mentioned that the pandemic had brought more activity from residents to the river, um, but were you able to locate particularly any specific activities that residents were doing or any industrial or commercial activities that were um, involved in that aspect? Yeah, certainly. Um, so majority of the garbage comes from residential sources. Um, we don't really have industrial or commercial, um, you know, um, entities or, or, or infrastructure here along the river. So, so we could pinpoint where exactly our garbage is coming. Um, so if, if I could bring up some statistics from September of last year when we started to April, this is as of last month, we've really removed 
over a thousand pounds of garbage um, from the river. And this is just the section that passes through our village because the river continues, you know, farther down and it, it eventually joins with another river and flows into the big falls. Um, so if I may jump into what exactly we're seeing, um, single-use plastics is like the number one constituent of our garbage collected. And we're talking about you know, the, the grocery bags, the, the plastic bags that are given at the grocery stores. We're talking about the ideal bags, the soap powder bags, you know, the chips, the, the sweet wrappers, you know, you name it, we find it. Um, the second component of, of the garbage is clothes. So that, now that is intuitive because literally every day you have villagers washing their clothes, you know, at the river throughout the entire year. So perhaps someone lost a sock today, someone lost a pants tomorrow, the following day someone lost a shirt while washing in the river, they all accumulate. And so, you know, we've been able to determine that definitely clothes is, is, um, is you know, the second biggest um, component of our garbage. The third one is um, glasses, as Carla rightly mentioned. And this is mainly the soft drink um, glass bottles and beer bottles. We found coffee bottles and also wine bottles. And so you may wonder why wine bottles? Um, perhaps people are washing clothes and drinking wine at the river. Not really. Um, so what they do is a lot of ladies would collect these, these wine bottles and they would tap a little hole or make a little hole to the bottom. And then they would put the cork to the top of the bottle and um, so they would get like corn or what we call the masa, the corn masa, or even tortilla, and they would bait those bottles. So the little sardines would just like kind of swim in it. And then they would just cover with their hands the, the, the opening. And there you go. You have little sardines for, for lunch or dinner. Um, so interestingly, we found a lot of those bottles either broken or, or in its entire shape um, along the river as well. And um, the fourth constituent of the garbage is no other than plastic bottles. And we're talking about, you know, the soft drink bottles, um, bleach bottles, the, the, the clothes softeners, what do we call the dongme, um, rum bottles. We even found pesticide bottles um, in the river. So, so really um, most of the garbage that we collect, you know, are from direct users of, those, of the river, either for washing, people who are bathing or people who are recreating. And we know, you know, a lot of our women spend and children spend a lot of time, um, especially during the day at the river. We know our youths hang out at the river with their friends to recreate. We have visitors, especially over the weekends that come to recreate at the river. So we're very sure of, of the source of that garbage that we're finding. That's way. very interesting. That's a lot of different types of garbage along the river. It's kind of it's, it's a bit disappointing to be honest, <laughs> but I'm glad that you guys are doing all this work. Um, I would like to know what is the waste? Where is the waste moved to? Sorry, after you remove it from the river. Yeah, sure. So the garbage is picked and sorted, and uh, we bag it, and so we dispose it at the village's dump site. Um, so it's very important to note that here in our community, we don't really have a landfill and it's an open dump in a designated area outside of the village. What are, what are you, in terms of that aspect of things, um, the open mm -hmm. dump, is there any move by the river keepers for, for the broader San Pedro Colombia community? 
what is your interest as far as what you want from the government in order to better process waste that is occurring within the river and within your communities? Because I, I, you know, there was the recent controversy about the other village in Toledo that had been using a land that was recently acquired by a private owner that had been using that site as a waste disposal site and had been getting a lot of criticism for the way in which they were using someone else's property for waste disposal. And my feeling on it is that, well, to some degree, this is the government's fault for not having provided them a means for properly managing waste. And so I'm wondering, like you all in doing this work, what is your desire for um, what should be happening with the waste that you all are collecting and want to, I assume, dispose of in a way that is least damaging to the environment as possible? Exactly. Um, so solid waste management is an issue in rural communities here in Toledo, and it transcends throughout Belize. Um, so there are some villages that don't even have a designated open dump, much less a collection system. But be, before I, I answer your question, um, Andre, I would like to, to put some background information as to how waste is disposed generally here in Colombia. And um, I, I want to, to pull in Carla because she has experience working, um, previous experience working with the village council. So she knows how the system works. I'm not sure if Carla, you could add in. Okay, probably we lost her. Um, okay, so, so I could continue. Um, so yeah, uh, prior to answering your question, I think it's very important um, to know that in Colombia, we have a garbage collection system and it's on a monthly basis um, and it's spearheaded by, by the village council. So here households pay a fee of a dollar, um, you know, to take their bag garbage, remove it from their household and dispose it at the dump site. Um, it is key to highlight that what we've, what we've uh, really seen through our work these past months is that some of the households will, will pile that garbage in your yard and resort to burning. Um, we've also noted that, you know, the garbage that is piled in the yard oftentimes make it right back to the river, especially after a hard rain like the one we are experiencing today or by wind. Um, in addition, we have several creeks passing through the village. And, you know, I think it's easier for people to just kind of like throw their garbage in that creek. But eventually when that creek floods, it just, you know, enters the, the river system. And um, so these garbage accumulate over the bank. Um, so going back to, to your question of solid waste management, um, you know, the issue of garbage pollution in the river is, is highly related to poor solid waste um, disposal and management system here in the river. And um, so garbage is, is, this is just one source of pollution. Um, I think for us as the Rio Grande River Keepers is how can we work with our local leaders, work with the village council, the alcalde system that we have here, um, our second alcalde, how can we work with our minister, um, you know, um, minister of rural development and create a mechanism where we could manage solid waste not only in Colombia, but in rural communities. So, you know, uh, as much as we love our home, 
you know, we are not the only ones um, suffering from this issue. At least we have an open dump. There are communities who don't have nothing, much less a collection system. Um, and um, I think that's, that's something that we're cognizant of doing, hence the reason we work very closely with our village council, with our chairman, with our councillors, and with our alcalde, right? So whatever we do, we want them, because at the end of the day, it's not just Denise, Quinto, Mariah trying to clean the river. It is us with our leaders trying to come up with a solution that will work for all of us. That's very interesting. I can relate to it to an extent because mm -hmm. I'm from a village in the northern Corozal and we also we don't have a garbage collection system. I don't even think we have a dump site. I, I feel like where people go dash their garbage, that it's, it should be illegal. Um, and we resort to burning garbage as well. I'm not proud of it, but mm -hmm. that's I mean, that's really the only other option that we have because the, um, the landfill transfer system is like miles, like maybe I leave 40 minutes away from here. But um, we don't have an open water source where the garbage can go to. So it doesn't like directly affect us like that, how you guys are um, experiencing it. Um, so what other projects are the Rio Grande River Keepers interested in doing? Is there an end point to the garbage collecting you're engaging? Thanks for, thanks for asking that. Um, so I'm going to take a stab at this, but my group is welcome to, to add in. So... Our group, we're thinking about the Rio Grande watershed. If you, if you notice, we're not saying Columbia River. We're thinking about the watershed. And so with that, we are thinking about the Columbia River, the San Miguel River, which joins to make the Big Falls River. And that is what we call the Rio Grande watershed. So the communities are almost seven of them. Columbia is just one, right? Um, so while our work over the past month really has focused on on our Columbia River, which is one, one tributary of this watershed. We want to ensure that we are doing what we're doing here is replicated in all of the communities. And it's not an easy task. The issue of solid waste management, erosion, we even haven't discussed erosion, you know, riverbank carrying, cattle ranching. This is issues that you file, you find all across the communities. So uh, we we need to support each other and we need to work together to ensure, you know, we have a clean water system. Um, in addition, I mean, if we think about climate change and the land use changes that is occurring, land use and water pollution, they're one of the biggest threats to Belize's water resources, right? And water is finite. It's a finite resources and it's very vulnerable to climate change. Right? So it's not just the garbage, but ensuring that we have healthy, healthy and thriving environment for many years to come. Right. So while we tackle cleaning up our home, we want to continue to engage with our council, with our villagers, with our leaders, but also reach out to other villages in the Rio Grande watershed. Um, so right now we're reaching out to other groups who have, you know, have what burned and are trying to 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 tackle the similar issues we're facing here in Colombia. And ultimately, we want to build a platform for communities to engage, to work together, and develop strategies, develop mechanisms to ensure that we maintain the ecosystem and services that this river is providing and safeguard it for us, but also our future villagers. And that is the core of our work. So while while these months, you know, we've been tackling the garbage issue, we've been thinking a lot, we've been reflecting a lot, and we've been doing a lot of planning. So I think uh, this is an opportunity for us to grow and to create 
a model that works for, for villagers here in, in Southern Belize and that can be replicated um, you know, nationally. Thank you so much for that response because I really do admire the specific aspect you talk about where you're not looking solely towards the idea of localized um, cleanup of the river at the San Pedro Colombia area, but thinking more expansively in terms of the entire watershed and linking people together. Um, one thing I do want to know as somebody who, you know, I live in Belize City and we do have rivers that come through here, but often by the time we get to the rivers arrive at Belize City, whatever sort of pollution that has occurred has already occurred. So I'm very much interested in knowing, like, what can people like me do in order to support the, the, the work of communities like yours, which are closer to the source of where activities are happening and, um, and ways that we can engage in the work and support in that work uh, to ensure that our watersheds nationwide can be better protected. Yes, most certainly. Um, I want to highlight that our efforts are volunteer-based. And I think one of the biggest recommendations I would give to, to sit a boy like you and, you know, Belizeans in general, volunteer, you know, volunteer for your community. The Belize River watershed, <laughs> where you're part of, that's one of the biggest watersheds in this entire country. Um, and, uh, you know, the headwaters of that watershed comes all the way from Guatemala. So if you want to look at it, it's a, it's a transboundary watershed, <laughs> you know, but I, I, I definitely recommend volunteering um, in your community, volunteering your watershed. Um, apart from volunteering, I want to encourage Belizeans on a whole, villagers, you know, protect the forest along the waterways. Right, that's very important. And restore areas that have been degraded by planting trees. Those are two small things we can do to ensure that our watersheds thrive and that we have we secure um, water resources for us and for our future generation. Um, with that said, um, support local community organized groups like ourselves. You know, we accept donations, and honestly. Um, Donations, we get numerous calls and honestly, we're looking for bins, we're looking for painting supplies, sanitary items, plants. If you have a nursery, we'll happily accept trees. Um, kayaks, canoes, we accept monetary donation. Um, I think one, once it helps and supports the work we do, um, you know, we welcome those as well. Oh, how can people get those donations to you? They can like our Facebook page and follow us at Rio Grande River Keepers. Um, contact us at 622-9566. And we have an email address too, riogrande20 at gmail.com. They can send us a message. We, um, quickest way, Facebook, you can send us a message there. We are always responding to message. Our call, Mr. Nims, at 622-9566. Awesome. Thank you so much for the time you've taken today to answer our questions. I really appreciate it. I really admire everything you're doing because it is something that I think a lot of people have not given attention to, the ways that regular citizens can be addressing um, the restoration and maintenance of our environment. And I, I have so much respect for you all. So thanks a lot for taking the time to talk to us about the work you're doing. And uh, I, I hope to be able to come down and, 
uh, you know, give some time to what you're doing as well. Thank you so much, Andrea. Thank you for inviting me, um, Digna. Uh, we really appreciate it. Honestly, we we didn't thought it would have gone. We wouldn't. We didn't thought we would have gotten as much attention as we were getting right now. We're we're truly blown out, and um, we it's just we'll continue to do good. Continue to good do good and continue to promote. Um, you know watershed management and protection. <laughs> yeah, and, and just one final note, I think what is especially awesome about what you're doing is that I think a lot of people, you're saying you're blown away by by people's responses. And I think I think maybe that is part of that is because a lot of people are heavily invested in how our natural world is doing and they understand to some degree that it is impacting our well-being. And that there are things that need to be done and people are just at a loss as to what they can do. And so what you're doing is really just modeling what we all need to be doing. And so I, I do really appreciate that because we, we all need to be able to recognize that we all have the power to be doing this work. And I, I, so that's when you say um, that you think that it needs to be more volunteers. I agree with you. And I hope that more people recognize that we can all organize our communities to protect our environment and in protecting our environment, we're protecting our livelihoods and we're protecting ourselves. So thanks again. And um, we, we just hope that you get more energy and more support for the rest of uh, your existence. And that's going to have to be forever because we always need to protect our watersheds. You rightly said it. Thank you for inviting us. Thanks again to the Rio Grande River Keepers for joining us in this episode and talking to us about their approach. We really appreciate having them here. In our previous episode on the Gilnet Ban, we had the pleasure to talk with the chairman of the Coalition for Sustainable Fisheries. For our next episode, we will be talking with some of Belize's very own fisher folks to talk about why they're resistant to the Gilnet Ban and why they're trying to overturn those actions. And that brings us to the end of our show. If you like it, please consider writing a review for us over on Apple Podcasts as it helps to increase the show's visibility. If you write a five-star review, we will read it in a future episode. If you have a climate crisis or environmental story impacting Belize you'd like to discuss, you can contact us at madafyah at gmail.com or message us on Facebook and Twitter at Marafaya. And be sure to hit that follow button. We encourage you to subscribe to the show so you can hear all the other informative episodes that we have upcoming in the next few weeks. Thanks to Alexander Evans for providing our theme song. You can find him on Instagram at Alexander Evans Music. And thanks to Demi Williams for providing our artwork. And thanks to you for listening to Modifya. Don't forget to join us for another episode next week. And remember, climate change is real and collective effort is needed to save our home. We wish for you greater resilience, peace, and moments of quiet. Thanks everyone.